Okay, we're walking through 1 John together. So if you found your place in 1 John, we are in the Apostles' um, first letter. And we're nearing the end. I think we'll have this Sunday and next, possibly. My hope is to finish 1 John next week. But if you've read ahead, you know we're going to get into some pretty challenging verses in chapter 5. And so uh, pray that that will go smoothly as we prepare for that. Let me just remind you as we jump in that the primary focus of this letter is to bring clarity to our questions, to give certainty to doubt, to draw a very clear and objective distinction between who is a born again Christian and who is not. This is a big part of John's aim. You know, the Bible does not allow for people to make claims that are not true. Do you know that our culture today, this is really popular. You know, if you want to identify as this or that, you can. And it's all, you know, your truth. It's very subjective. But the Bible doesn't play that game. Um, Several times in this letter, John says, if someone says blank. They're a liar. That's pretty straight up, right? And the Bible calls things what it is. It speaks the truth. And um, as we've said before, truth is not trendy. It doesn't change with the times. So several times in this letter, he's drawing those lines. He's going to do that again today. And uh, thank God, because I'm thankful that his word is straight up with truth and, and blunt and honest with the truth. Because this is an area, your salvation, your eternal destiny It's not an area where you want to be wrong, right? So John is bringing clarity to whether or not you're born again. And you need to know the truth. You don't want the Bible to go soft on that. You want to know the truth. You guys agree with what I'm saying? Okay, just making sure. So if you're doubting your salvation or doubting God, John wrote this letter. He tells us in chapter 5, verse 13, so that you may know you have eternal life. This is why he's written it. So essentially, you can boil um, this whole letter, five chapters, down to three main tests. He gives us three tests for how you can know for sure. So these are those three tests. Do you believe in the true Jesus Christ? Do you believe in the true Jesus Christ? That's how he opened the letter. He said that which was from the beginning has been made manifest to us. This is who Jesus is, the eternal Son of God, come into the world to save sinners. Do you believe um, He is the Son of God, the sacrificial Savior for sinners? John says, if you don't believe that, you're not born again. The second test he gives is, has your life drastically changed? Has your life drastically changed? And he he uses illustrations like... uh, Darkness to light or practicing sin to practicing righteousness. And basically, essentially what he's saying is um, your behavior reflects what you really believe. And you're either walking in darkness. And if you walk in darkness, then you've not come to know the God who is light. This is the truth. He's telling the straight up truth. And then the third test that John gives us is what we deal with today. And it is, do you truly love God? And others. Do you truly love God and others? Has your heart been so captivated by the love of God that 
you are now loving to others. These are, I think, the primary three tests of this letter. There's lots of other smaller ones, but these are the primary tests of genuine faith. So today we're going to look at the heart of the letter, and it really is all about love. All about love. In just five chapters, check this out, John uses the word love 45 times. And in just the section of Scripture we're going to read, he uses the word love 32 times. So I think through repetition, he's wanting us to get a grip on love. Throughout the whole letter, he only uses one Greek word for love. There's, there's a variety of words in the Greek for love. But John's focus in all of this letter, every time you see the word love, it's the word agape. He wants us to know the love of God. He's not teaching us about um, uh, phileo, the, the, the brotherly, friendly love. That's phileo. He's not necessarily teaching us about eros. That's the romantic, erotic love between lovers, a husband and wife. He's not teaching us about storge. That one may be unfamiliar to you, but that Greek word is familial love, like a father to a son or a daughter. It's family love. That's a distinctive kind of love. Now, John is teaching us about agape love. Every time he uses the word love, it is agape through this whole letter. And I think the point behind that is that all the other loves are branches out of this root of God love. So today we look at um, the heart of the letter and it really is all about love. His emphasis is to reveal who God is, how God loves And how his love transforms us into people who love. This is the the outline, I suppose, of this section. But in each case, he's using God's love as the source. Now, also twice in this passage we're going to read, he says, God is love. We'll dig into that uh, this morning also. All right. So not just that God is loving, but he is love. Now you're good and comfortable. Will you stand with me as we read God's Word together? Uh, we're reading 1 John chapter 4. We're going to pick up in verse 7, and we're going to go all the way to chapter 5, verse 5. Listen to the Apostle John today. This is the Word of the Lord. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us by this. We know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testify that the father has sent his son. 
to be the savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment because he is as he is. So also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear for fear has to do with punishment. Whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Everyone who believes that Jesus Christ, that Jesus is the Christ, has been born of God. Everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of Him. By this, we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey His commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep His commandments and His commandments are not burdensome. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it? That overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the son of God. Let's pray. Father, we are blown away that you love us. We have done nothing to deserve your love. In fact, we were against you. But you sent Jesus to rescue us from ourselves, from our sin. Lord Jesus, thank you for dying so that we can live. Teach us now, Lord, to be people of love. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so John is circling back to love. This is not the first time in the book that he's talked about love, but he's circling back to love because love is so central to Christianity That when someone claims to be a Christian, but they're a total jerk, everybody knows better. I was just checking to see if you were listening. I'm still not sure. (laughs) When somebody claims to be a Christian, but they are a total jerk, people kind of, they know better. This is the point John's trying to make. I wanted to bring it down into real simple terms. You, You can't say you love God when you hate your brother. If that's what you say and how you live, then your life is telling the truth. Uh, A couple of weeks ago, I was headed, uh, coming out of Jacksonville. I'd been to this really awesome coffee house and visiting there. And then uh, I was headed out of Jacksonville. I was headed south south on Highway 21. And there's a little spot coming out of Jacksonville where uh, like Chick-fil-A is here and Starbucks is kind of right in here. And it just gets real congested right there at certain parts of the day. So I was coming, coming down that way, headed back this direction and uh, you know, just driving along. And uh, this truck sort of pulls right out. I mean, right in front of me. And 
Before I knew it, I was, I was right up on him. I thought, I'm about to hit him. And I look, you know, quickly. And I, I swerve over. I get in the other lane. I just dodge that guy. It's a miracle. And uh, anyway, we pull up uh, to the next red light and stop. And we're side by side, you know. And I don't know why, but I needed to see what this guy looked like. Uh, just had to see, you know. What is this? I don't know. So I turned to look, and lo and behold, he needed to see what I looked like. And I found myself staring into this man's eyes, and he looked like he needed to tell me something. So I rolled the window down thinking he's going to apologize. I was wrong. He did not want to apologize. He had a few choice words for me. And... uh, I was telling my children this story um, because I wanted to teach them that, you know, we have a choice in moments like that, how we react, how we respond. And um, so my daughters, it was before bed one night and they were like, what'd you do, daddy? What'd you do? And um, I made something up. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) I didn't. Honest to goodness, this is what happened. I was so shocked. That this man didn't apologize. Somehow it was my fault, you know. And I was so shocked. And by his anger, I mean vitriol. I heard words, y'all. There are times when in life when I wish that, you know, police officers have a badge, you know. I wish preachers had a badge. You know, I wish I could just like flash a badge and be like, hey man, watch your mouth, you know. But uh, that was one of those moments. But on, honest to goodness, I was just so shocked. I thought, huh. I just smiled back and said, hey man, have a good day. I just waved. And he was yelling as my light turned green and we drove out. He was still yelling at me. But I tell you what I didn't think when I left that situation. I didn't think, what a fine Christian man. <laughs> that man has received the love of God. And now he is loving to people. I did not think that. And the truth is, that's kind of the point John is making here. Is that when you've received the love of God, it gets in you in a way that it comes out of you for others. That's not to say that there might not be a moment where you deviate. Okay, and maybe that was the moment for him. We'll give grace. But I will say the point John is making is that you cannot say that you love a God that you cannot see. When you cannot love man who you do see. He says, if that's the case for you, you are a liar. And he's speaking bold, strong truth to us. Why? Because this matters. He's saying your love tells whether you're born again. How do you love the brothers? How do you love one another? So um, John begins this section with a a call to love one another, noting the source of our love. He says, for love is from God. Love is from God. And then he states his thesis for this whole section. He says, whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. So get the, the point he's making. He's saying both love is from God, but when we love this way horizontally, It shows that we've received this way vertically. And then he says, when you love this way, it it is the fruit of your new birth. 
It shows, it demonstrates that you have been born again and that you have an ongoing relationship with this God who is love. So the big question of the day is this. Would your love be enough evidence to prove your faith? Would your love be enough evidence to prove that you've been born again? I want us to see four major truths in this passage. The first of which is God is love. God is love. John says that love is from God, but then he gives us this explanation that is deeper than that. It's not just that God gives us something that he has possession of. It's not just that he takes what's in his hands and he pours it out on us. No, he's giving us of his very essence. John says love is from God. And then he says, and God is love. It's his essence, his character, his very nature. I don't know if you see it in in this text, and there's a lot more here than we have time for right now. But first, John is very Trinitarian. He teaches the Trinity over and over and over again. And there's just no way to talk about the, the fact that God is love without talking about the Trinity, the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit. Listen, eternally existed in a love relationship with himself. That may not be grammatically correct, but it is theologically correct. God, the Father, God, the Son, God, the Holy Spirit. In John 17, Jesus prays for you and me. He says, Father, I'm praying for them that they would be one as we are one, that they would know the love that you've had for me from the beginning. Did you hear what Jesus just said? That they would know the love you've had for me. Jesus is saying, God, Father, you've been loving me from the beginning. It is who you are. It's who we are. We are love. This letter is constantly pointing us to the Trinity. I want you to just see one quick place in verses 13 and 14. Look at it with me, if you will. By this, we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his what? Spirit. Now, look. And we have seen and testified that the what father has sent his what son right there in in those two verses real close. You have the spirit who dwells in us. We have the father who in love sent his son. This father and the spirit together have now sent the spirit to come and dwell within us. They send and they come because they are love. It's who God is. Love is from God because he is love. John wants to be really clear here. He isn't just loving and sending his love. No, he is love. It's kind of like heat from a fire. Heat comes from a fire because a fire is hot. Does that make sense? It's what it is. It's hot. Or, or maybe you'd say light comes from the sun. It's not that the sun is sending light. It's that the sun is light. It is its essence. 
And so when God is sending love, his son in love, it's not just that he's sending us something that he has in his possession. It's sending his person. This is maybe theologically sort of in the clouds, but I think it's significant for us to get. John's trying to teach us that, that God didn't just give us out of his pockets. He sent us himself. He sent us love. The reason this matters is because of how John now connects the dots. He's connecting the dots that those who are born of God are given this same nature. Just as love is of the is the essence of God. Now he's connecting the dots that those who are born of God have his same nature. It it now is who you are. And you love out of a new nature. It's like God's given us his DNA. And this is the reason why when we talk about salvation, we don't say Jesus came to make you better. He came to make you new. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, talking about salvation, Paul says, old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. He says you're a new creature. He didn't just come to pull the good that was already in you. No, he got rid of all of that and gave you himself. That's why now we love, because we're born of God and given his Nature. So when we treat others with contempt or with hatred, John makes a bold statement. He says, whoever does not love does not know God. That's strong. John is so convinced that you cannot personally experience the merciful love of God and be born into a relationship with him. And still have a cold, callous heart toward other people. He's so convinced that you cannot have received this love and still turn and hate your brother. I'm reminded of the story in Matthew 18 that Jesus told. He told the story of a man who had a massive debt. He couldn't have paid his debt off in 10 lifetimes. The debt came due and the master sent for this servant to come and pay his bill. But the servant got on his knees and begged and begged and begged. Give me more time. I'll pay everything I owe you. Just give me a little more time. It's all I need is more time. The master did not grant his request. That would have been a terrible sentence. More time. The master gave mercy and forgave the man's debt entirely. What a moment. What a display of radical mercy. But as the man left and went on his way, he came across a man that owed him ten dollars. When that man couldn't pay his debt on the spot, he took him by the throat, the Bible says. Took him by the throat. Threatened his life and had him thrown in jail. Listen. This man wanted mercy for himself, but justice for others. 
When the master heard what had happened, he was angry, Jesus said. He sent for the unforgiving servant immediately and had him thrown in jail. Now, this story serves as a command and a warning. Listen, we need to hear both of these things today. It serves as a command and a warning. The command is this, as John puts it, you ought to love in the same way that you've been loved. You ought to love in the same way that you have been loved. That's the command. The warning is this. If you lack love for your brother, you prove that you never were born again into relationship with God. That's the warning. So today, what we're doing is evaluating our love. We see in this text, John's teaching, God is love. And the question then reciprocates, are we now born again into that image? The second truth from this text is God's love is seen in Jesus. God's love is seen in Jesus. So how does God love us? These are some really important truths. I I prayed for you as I was writing this and just thought, Lord, if we could get a hold of this, how it would change us. Listen. God's love starts. Verse 10. 1 John 4, 10. And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us. His love initiates. It starts. He initiates. Not that we loved him, but he loved us. Did you catch that? Actually... We didn't love God. We loved our sin. Romans 5, 8. That's what Paul taught. He said, God demonstrates his love in that while we were yet what? Sinners. While we were yet sinning is the actual Greek. Like in the, in the moment, we were sinning. Christ died for us. God demonstrates his love in that while we were still sinning, Christ dies for us. He loved the worst. And he loved first. We only love because we were first loved by him. That's what 1 John 4, 19 teaches. We love because we were first loved. Now I think about... um, when I met Lauren, my wife, um, I remember seeing her and thinking, oh, she's pretty. And then I kind of was watching a little bit and I was like, I, I kind of I like the way she's doing that, you know? And um, I could talk about this for a long time, but I'll be brief. She was lovely and love stirred in me as a response to her loveliness. That is not the way God loves us. He is not stirred to love you because you're lovely. He is stirred to love you because he is love. 
And he loved you when there was nothing lovely about you. You were an enemy. You were against him. You didn't want him. You rejected him. You wanted to be your own God. You didn't want him telling you what to do. He loved you in the middle of all of that. This is why human love is so different from agape love. It's why John writes all about agape love because we have a massive learning curve. If you're honest, especially men in the room speaking as a man, our love is very selfish, isn't it? Oftentimes, somewhere beneath all the kind gestures I do, sometimes, many times, there's a little selfish motivation. Are you tracking with me? I hope you're honest enough. <laughs> right? I don't know about the women. I know about the men. Right? Our love is not a perfect representation of God's love. It's just why we need a new nature. We need to be overtaken by His character. But what John's teaching us here when he says He loved us first, God's love starts. He's teaching us this. Your love for others can never be a pride thing. It can never puff you up in pride and arrogance. If, if you love someone well, say to yourself, well, I only love because I was first loved. That will bring it down where it needs to be. God's love starts. Second truth about his love that's seen in Jesus. God's love is serious about sin. Now, sometimes we think that love will, um, will sweep our ugly under the rug, right? Well, love will overlook it. If you love me, You'll you'll overlook my ugly. God doesn't do that. He doesn't overlook it. He deals with it. So he's honest about our ugly. He's honest about our sin. He comes straight at it. He's so honest about it. He sent his only son to address it with his life. God is serious about sin. His love covers a multitude of sins. But it covers sin with the blood of his son. Our sin is covered by the love of God. But only by the sacrificial death of Jesus. That's how serious God is about sin. He doesn't pretend it's okay. He doesn't redefine it to be more culturally relevant. No, he deals with sin by sending Jesus. So the Bible actually says he was sent to die so that we might live through him. It's verse nine. Jesus was sent to die as the here's a big word propitiation. Just to make sure you're awake. It's warm in here. Say propitiation. Propitiation. Okay, some of you are awake. Let's try three. Three more people. Ready? Propitiation. Propitiation. All right. Propitiation. What does that mean? Here's what it means. You want to write a definition down? This is what it is. It's a sacrifice that settles and satisfies the wrath of God. Well, wait a minute. I thought this was a message about love. Yes. God loves you and hates your sin. And that was the collision that happened at the cross of Jesus Christ. 
He loved you enough to put His own Son on the cross. Because He hates sin. His wrath. Now, propitiation. What does that mean? It means all of His wrath was poured out on Jesus. I heard a a preacher give this image one time. And it's just stuck in my mind. Of standing in the... In the gully, I guess that is the little valley there and the Hoover Dam is right here, right? Big Hoover Dam. And I'm just staring at it. And all of a sudden it breaks. And all that water, the wrath of God is coming rightfully at me, a sinner. It's just coming at me. The wrath of God. And then because of Jesus, this huge hole opens up right in front of me. And it all goes down. This is the propitiation of God. That His own Son came to bear the weight, the wrath toward your sin and my sin. God loved you so much that He's serious about your sin. And He took care of it. Love covers a multitude of sin because it's covered in the blood of Jesus. The cross is the greatest act of love for us and hatred for our sin that we'll ever know. Jesus came to die so that you might live. God's love is static. So three S's here. He starts serious and he's static. What do I mean by that? This is such good news. His love never changes. It's who he is. And he is unchanging. His love never changes. He will never love you more and he will never love you less. His love, listen, is based on his goodness, not yours. Somebody really needs to hear this today because you're stuck in a prison of performance. And you think if I do good, he'll love me better. Garbage. It's not the gospel. God's love is unchanging. Remember, he loved you when you were wretched, right? He came after you when you were his enemy. Why would he now be like, oh, I'm so I'm so glad I I love you so much more. But once again, right, this is a this is a contrast between the way we love. I mean, honestly, I fell in love with my wife 12 years ago. We now have five children together and I've watched this woman. She's my wonder woman. I'm telling you, in 12 years, my love has exponentially grown. Exponentially. God's love is not like that. He loved you so much. The moment. He'll never love you more. He'll never love you less. It's unchanging. It's static. This truth, I believe, has the power to liberate some people today because you're you're in a prison of performance. You're constantly thinking, if I just do better, if I just do better, if I just do better. And God wants you to go, shh, I love you. You don't have to put on a show for me. I love you. He's never loved you based on your goodness. It's always been based on his Third truth, God's love is perfected in us, John says, when we love one another. He says, if God so loved us, we ought to love one another. That's the command. Um, Now, words like ought and should 
have become some of my least favorite words to preach, honestly, because of our tendency, our natural bent to turn the beauty of gospel transformation into guilt motivated morality. I don't want to preach at you and be like, you really ought to do this. We should be more loving. That's not the message today. You ought to be. You should be. I don't want anybody walking out of here feeling beat up. I want you to feel lifted up that God loves you. But John uses the word ought. Right? How does that work? Well, I'll tell you, it's not this. Well, I really don't want to, but I ought to. It's not that. We need to be very careful here to see what John really means when he says God's love is perfected in us. That word perfected is from the same Greek word that Jesus used from the cross. To Tetelestai. Anybody know? It is what? Okay, so when John uses it here, the idea of this word means completed, come to fruition, has, has run full course. It has reached its end. It's reached its completion. So get it. Get this. God's love is meant to come to us and it's perfected when it goes through us. This is what John is teaching. He's teaching that the perfection, the completion of God's love is that he's Loving you in such a way to transform who you are so that you love with his love. That's what he means by perfected or completed. It's not our love, but his that we pass on to others. That means that I'm learning to love you when you don't deserve it. I'm learning to love you when your performance is subpar. And I pray for the grace that you'll love me when mine is. Perfected means completed, finished. It's the same word Jesus used from the cross. John, I think about John in particular. He was, remember, one of the sons of thunder, right? James and John, at one point in their journey, they wanted to call down fire on the whole city. Jesus, let's just roast them all. John had a short fuse, you know, I mean, I've been there. I've had moments like that. Son of thunder. But now he's the disciple whom Jesus loved. Something transformative happened in his heart. He was gripped by the love of God. His anger and hatred were swallowed up in God's love for him. And now he's a man who loves others. I want you to see what John said in chapter 5. He said his commands... Ought to love. You ought to love. His commands are not burdensome. So when John gives the command repeatedly that we love one another, verses 7, 11, and 21, he doesn't mean that you should muster the fortitude to do something you hate to do. That's not what he's talking about. Think about it like this. Um, Middle school boys. Any parents of middle school boys are like, I'm thinking... Fifth grade all the way to maybe hmm, eighth grade. Anybody got somebody in that? Okay. Middle school boys. You find yourself saying things like this. And I'm not a parent of that age, but I've hung out with them a lot. Hey, uh, how long has it been since you've had a shower? <laughs> yeah, man, like we were out sweating. Like you, you need a shower. A shower. Or, or, or maybe, did you brush your teeth? 
yeah, man, you, you got some funk coming out. You need to go brush your, brush your teeth. Don't you know cavities have, like, when did, how's, how long has it been since you brushed your teeth? You, you have to talk this way sometimes to boys. Or, um, hey, buddy, <laughs> deodorant. Have you heard of deodorant? You might want to, remember, remember we've, we talked about this before, right? Yeah, you, you should go put some on. Yeah, or walk like this. You, you have outstunk your coverage. You know what I'm saying? I mean, you, you need to. Right? So you constantly having to force boys to think about hygiene and smells and things like that until Sam meets Sally. And then something happens on the inside, right? It's no longer rules from the outside telling him to do something he doesn't want to do. All of a sudden, there's an internal motivation. There's something bubbling up. Sally... She may not like my smell. Right? Suddenly he's brushing his teeth twice a day, flossing every night. Uh, Showers in the morning after school and sometimes, you know, just in case. Um, Uses deodorant, body spray, cologne on Fridays. What has happened to Sam? He no longer needs the guilt trip. He no longer needs this this burdensome law from the outside. No, because there's love stirring on the inside. Are you tracking? There's something that happens when love changes us. Here's the deal. Guilt may move you to do what you don't want to do, but love will change your wanter. Love changes what you want. And you're motivated from the inside. So John says it like this. Those who love have been born again. Verses 7 in chapter 5 verse 1. If you've come to trust Jesus Christ, you've been born of God. And now he's your father. So this is the greatest news. And he gives us one little snippet here that I I, want to preach on in detail later. But here's just a snippet. You've been born of God. He is your father. So some good news. You have nothing to fear. You have nothing to fear. Perfect love. That's God's love. Casts out fear. In my mind, there's an image of like an old school scale. You know what I'm talking about? Hmm. Fear will hang around in your life as much as you don't allow the love of God to hang around in your life. When you're overcome by God's love, perfected in God's love, fear is cast out. It has no choice. It's outweighed by the love of God. There's no fear in God's love. If you're a Christian, you'll never face the punishment of God. Do you know that? God will never punish you. Do you know why? Because of that gaping hole that swallowed up all of his punishment. Because of Jesus. Jesus took the wrath. He took the punishment. All of it. You will never face the punishment of God. Now listen. He will discipline you. Hebrews 12 talks about the discipline of the loving father. But it's this. It's the discipline of love. 
It's a love motivated discipline. He will discipline you lovingly forward. You have nothing to fear. Lastly, and this is where we'll wrap it up. Love proves faith. As we know, this whole letter is written to bring certainty to our doubts. There may be lots of questions you have or doubts that you're having. The world might would say this. No one can tell you if you're a Christian or not. Nobody can tell you that. That's between you and God. Well, the Bible disagrees. John says, if you say this and you live like that, you're a liar. John makes it plain. If you say you love God, but there's no love coming from you or you hate your brother, you're a liar. You've never been gripped by the love of God. And you need to hear the truth about that. Maybe you'd say, well, I don't think I hate him. You know, I mean, I don't really hate him. I just, I just can't stand him. I don't hate him. Well, John says in verse 8, anyone who does not love does not know God. So look, we've got, if you hate, it's super clear. You don't love God. But if you don't love, well, now that's real hard. You don't know God. Maybe think about two things quickly. Think about how God loved us in sending Jesus. He loved us undeserving people. He loved us at great cost to himself. He sent his only son. Jesus loved us even when we hated him. Jesus loved us to the end. It wasn't a halfway love. He followed through all the way to the cross. In love, the Father and the Son sent the Holy Spirit so that we would never be alone. Jesus said, I won't leave you as orphans. I'll send you the Spirit. He will never leave us. His love, as we heard this morning, His steadfast love endures forever. Or maybe think about 1 Corinthians chapter 13, just for a moment, just to be super specific. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy. It does not boast. It is not arrogant or rude. Love does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. So if you don't know love, you don't know God. But you can today confess Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Repent of your sin, turn to him and be born again. Today, you can know the love of God. God wants to give you his heart of love. But he wants you first to know him as a loving father. If you need to be saved today, find me afterward. I want to talk to you. Make a note on that welcome card. I promise we'll get together. Well, God loves you because of who he is, not because of who you are. But I want to give you a super practical suggestion as we finish. John says our faith is evidenced by our love for one another. Because we truly received the love of God, we love each other. So questions. Do you love others with a special kind of supernatural love? Are are you making sacrifices for people. Let's just narrow the focus in this church. Are you making sacrifices for people around you? 
John reminded us in chapter 3, verse 18, love is not talk, it's action. So love does stuff. Are you going to the funeral? Are you making the casserole? Are you offering to babysit the pastor's children? Just throwing that one out there, right? Um, Love steps in to help when there's financial strain. Love listens when there's emotional pain. Are you, are you giving of your time to sit and hear and listen in to somebody's problems? Love weeps when somebody's hurting. Love celebrates when somebody's excited. Love is action. Are you loving these people? Now, I want to give you a very practical need that is love. Are you ready? And I'm expecting some action on this one. Right now, about 20 people are bearing the bulk of the load of the volunteer rotation with our children's ministry. About 20 people. Maybe a few more. Which means those people are serving every month, sometimes twice. I would like to see a 60-person volunteer list. 60 people. Our kids' ministry leaders are doing a fantastic job. But what they do is hard. I'd like to see them have to turn away volunteers because we have so many people saying, I love these children. I love these families. I love what God's doing. But church, listen, the burden we're putting on them is not loving. I want to see a 60-person list. And the goal there is that people could volunteer and serve once every three months. Well, then we're all carrying the load, right? So on your way out today, (laughs) you can go stop by one of the kids ministry areas and volunteer to serve. That would be a way practically to obey Christ today. I will love one another by serving in this way. That was practical. I want us to be a church known for our love. That's what Jesus said. They will know you by how you love. Let's be so consumed by the love of the gospel that we're motivated to love each other genuinely. Amen? Let's pray.